This week, Microsoft OAuth flaw opens Azure accounts to take over. Vulnerabilities disclosed in Kaspersky and Trend Micro products. Critical code execution vulnerability found in the GoAhead web server. And StrandHog, a vulnerability that allows malware to pose as a legitimate Android app. In our expert commentary, we welcome back Adam Gordon from ITPro.tv to discuss DevSecOps and the culture clash in organizations. All that and more on this episode of Hack Naked News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show that brings you the security news each week. And despite popular belief, we do wear pants. It's Hack Naked News. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to offsite training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv slash hack naked and use the code HN30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Welcome to Hack Naked News, episode number 244 for December 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. Make sure you register for our upcoming webcast with Steve Lobenstein of Core Security. Go to securityweekly.com, click the webcast drop-down menu, select registration. Of course, if you've missed any of our previous webcasts, you can find them in the same menu in our on-demand library. And of course, our listeners who attend any of our webcasts, uh, live or on-demand, receive one CPE credit per webcast. And now, the security news for this week. Vulnerabilities disclosed in Kaspersky and Trend Micro products. According to SafeBreach, Kaspersky Secure Connection, a VPN client used with various Kaspersky applications, including security cloud, uh, internet security, antivirus, and more, is impacted by CVE 2019-15689, a vulnerability that could allow an attacker to implant and run arbitrary unsigned executable code, specifically KSDEA, signed service that starts automatically at system startup, which runs a system, attempts to load missing DLLs, an attacker able to load an arbitrary DLL could have it run with system privileges within the context of the KSDE.exe. Similar vulnerabilities allow attackers to load DLLs in a very similar fashion in trend micro products. SafeBreach reported these vulnerabilities to the respective vendors in July of this year, and all three have acknowledged the bugs and issued CVE numbers for them and hopefully have fixed them by now as well. Microsoft OAuth flaw opens Azure accounts to take over. 
The vulnerability exists because when Microsoft applications undergo the OAuth 2.0, which is the next generation of OAuth, of course, the authorization flow, they trust certain third-party domains and subdomains that are not registered by Microsoft. Researchers at CyberArk discovered three vulnerable Microsoft applications that trust these unregistered domains. Uh, portfolios, a portfolio management tool, O365 Secure Score, a security analytics tool, and the Microsoft Trust Service, a portal providing resources about Microsoft security, privacy, and compliance practices. At least 54 subdomains with URLs ending uh, in domains that were not registered uh, by Microsoft in the portal, plus there may be more that weren't discovered, according to the CyberArk researchers. Attackers could take advantage of this flaw by taking over the domains and registering them, meaning that they would be approved by default and could request access underscore tokens, which in OAuth speak means they basically get all of the permissions of that user. It's essentially like having the username and password, sort of. Kali Linux gets a new desktop environment and uh, a new theme. With this release, offensive security has moved Kali Linux from known to XFCE. Of course, the lightweight open source desktop environment uh, for Linux BSD and other Unix-like operating system. The move is designed to improve performance and user experience for pen testers, according to offensive security. XFCE, for instance, runs on all levels of Kali installs from high-end laptops to lower-end ARM-based systems, as that's what XFCE was intended to do, is be a more lightweight uh, graphical environment for your Linux and Unix or BSD systems. Um, I actually read some reviews on XFCE, as I haven't used it in some time, and people do report that it is not the resource hog that some of the other desktop environments are uh, for Linux. So it'll stay out of your way when you're doing your pen tests using Kali Linux. A strand, a vulnerability called Strand Hog allows malware to pose as legitimate Android apps. The researchers said attackers can use the vulnerability to allow real-life malware to pose as legitimate apps with users unaware they're being targeted. Uh, the attack can be designed to request permissions which be would be natural for different targeted apps to request, in turn lowering suspicion for the victims. Basically, users are unaware that they're giving permission to um, a malicious app and not the authentic app they believe they're using. If the flaw is exploited uh, to users, it appears that they are clicking on an app that they use every day, such as Facebook or Instagram. However, what's happening in the background is the app, instead uh, of the legitimate app, is giving those permissions to the malware. Which, of course, is bad. So, uh, Critical execution vulnerability found in the GoAhead web server. Um, if you haven't heard of the GoAhead web server, it I will go ahead and tell you about it. Developed by Embed, this GoAhead is advertised as the world's most popular tiny embedded web server with both open source and enterprise versions available. The vendor says GoAhead is present in hundreds of millions of devices. A showdown search for GoAhead currently shows over 1.3 million internet-connected systems. The critical GoAhead vulnerability discovered by Cisco's Talos team is related to how the multi-part form data requests are processed. An unauthenticated attacker can exploit this weakness to trigger a use-after-free condition and potentially execute arbitrary code on the server by, of course, sending those specially crafted 
HTTP requests. I love that in every vulnerability right up since the beginning of time, since I've been covering vulnerabilities for 20 years, they always call it a specially crafted. And that's where the, the special sauce is. The security hole is being tracked to CVE 2019-5096 and has been assigned a CVSS score of 9.8 as if in embedded systems and IoT systems needed yet more vulnerabilities for uh, folks to exploit. Control access and permissions to an AWS service and resources. Um, if you're in AWS, you should probably read this article posted in the show notes and use this feature. Resource policies and new features offered by Amazon and AWS allow customers to granularly control who is able to access a specific resource and how they're able to use it across the entire cloud environment. With one click, according to the report, in the IAM console, I find one click in the IAM console never really, it always is at least two clicks or more. Um, but they say with one click in the IAM console, customers can enable the analyzer across their account to continuously analyze permissions granted using policies associated with their Amazon S3 buckets, uh, KMS keys, SQS queries, IAM roles, and Lambda functions. While there are other, and this is my own words, while there are other solutions out there for this, I believe it doesn't hurt to enable additional monitoring as your cloud configuration likely changes, uh, probably daily. Uh, and it's interesting to note that if you look into some of the details of the Capital One breach, one of the things was uh, a lack of monitoring and visibility into what one of their systems in AWS actually had access to. I believe and speculate that this uh, particular feature from Amazon is to address uh, some of those shortcomings in some of the breaches, specifically Capital One, that we've seen in cloud infrastructure, specifically Amazon's. We'll take a short break and return with none other than Adam Gordon from ITPro.TV. Stay tuned. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from zero to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back, everyone, to Hack Naked News uh, in IT. And IT security veteran Adam Gordon is here with us from ITPro.TV. We'll be discussing DevSecOps and uh, DevOps and the culture clash in organizations. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thank you, Paul. Always good to spend time with you guys. Yeah, nice to have you today talking about... Uh, if it's a hot topic this year, uh, I think in general how uh, security can continue to interact uh, with DevOps and how DevOps can impact security, hopefully in a positive uh, manner. And we've seen a lot of this culture clash, uh, I think, as more organizations adopt DevOps and get a little more serious about security um, or a little more concerned about security because, hey, we can deploy now vulnerable code even faster. <laughs> Yes, technology is is a good thing, right? We were talking about this before we got on, but you know, the downside, right, the, that we see, and, and DevOps is supposed to help us with this, but there's a disconnect. Is we got it, we got to scale, right? Everything has to scale. So hyperscalability, hyperelasticity in the cloud with virtualization, you have to have it, or you can't operate a business today. At least 
not a global spanning business, not one that is going to service customers in multiple venues. So we've, we've scaled the infrastructure. We figured that out. We, we really can do that, not quite with one click, like you were joking about as you were reading <laughs> right. the headlines, right? But <laughs> it's close to that, right? With automation and with mm-hmm. templating. But the thing that lags, unfortunately, historically, always, is the scalability of security and the scalability of introspection, right? Around making sure that we're able to secure that highly scalable, highly elastic infrastructure. And we're always running, right? We're never at level. We're never ahead. That would be awesome. But we always seem to be behind. And while DevOps, DevSecOps is giving us flexibility and is giving us the ability to, in theory, get out ahead or at least stay, stay relevant and stay current by keeping pace in that race, there's still a problem, right? People aren't figuring out how they can put it to use effectively. They're not yeah. adopting it in the ways that we, we would hope they would to apply it to, to get to parity. No, and there Adam, seems to always be that continuing gap, and it's just it's a mystery. And Adam, I I, I like your first kind of talking point here because it speaks to something that me uh, myself as a security person, right, I had to become comfortable with is um, we view threats as dynamic, but risk as static. And if we pluck out just the continuous deployment aspect of DevSecOps or DevOps, it it means you're just constantly pushing new new applications and new systems out. And I was like, that's bad, right? I already made the joke that we're just going to push vulnerable stuff faster. But that means that the fix can come equally as fast, right? And your risk is that delta between those releases. And as a security person, I'm like, I'm becoming more comfortable with, yes, I know we're going to push out some things that are vulnerable, but the window of time in which we're vulnerable is, well, if you're doing it right, very short. And I'm okay with us being vulnerable, but for a much shorter period of time, which definitely makes your risk a very dynamic thing, right? It does. But so here's something interesting about that. All that is great. Agree with you 100%. Caveat and disclaimer before I take your argument apart, right? So I I like that. I agree with it because, yes, we are pushing more stuff, likely as a result, right? Volume being what it is, the more stuff you Mm -hmm. push, the likelihood of percentages of those things having problems goes up. That's just the way it works. And the fact we can now speed those fixes to market almost in real time and parallel to the deployment is awesome. All those things are great. But the problem is that it's not the risk that we're dealing with in that gap, right? This is, I think, where a lot of people get confused, right? Think about the the generic and the formulaic definitions that businesses, organizations use to talk about risk, threat, and vulnerability and impact. And then go look up what NIST and all the other standards we quote, right, actually have to say about them. What you hear in the field is that threat and risk and vulnerability essentially are defined as the same shades of gray. Slight variation in language Mm -hmm. based on customer, right? They, They lump them together and often say they're essentially the same thing. And nothing could be further from the truth, more often than not. Uh, they are distinctly different, right? Vulnerabilities are weaknesses, plain and simple. Not quantified until we understand whether we own them and have exposure as a result of them. But they exist, and we have to at least acknowledge them and define them so we can go figure out whether or not they're appropriate for us to spend time on and how badly they can hurt us, right, if we do find them. Uh, and threat and threat sources, threat actors, kind of the the entities, Mm -hmm. the beings, and the things that we have to really be scared of are the bad things that can potentially hurt us if they are able to find a vulnerability and exploit some sort of avenue and weakness as a result. And risk is 
those threats, those threat sources, those threat actors acting in ways that can hurt us. But specifically, it's the probability, the likelihood of that activity occurring and occurring successfully and how badly it will hurt us as a result. Those are the formulaic standardized Mm -hmm. definitions of those terms. But what you often hear from customers is, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and and be concerned about those things because either my threat intelligence platform told me I have to or my security person has told me I have to, whoever those people are, and or because I heard about it on Hacking Naked or or whatever right venue they may may be paying attention to. And so I'm going to go chase Strandhog or I'm going to go chase this vulnerability that Amazon is uh, trying to address as a result of the Capital One breaches you were talking about or things like that, because that's the flavor of the day. And I always want to be, you know, cool and hip. So I'm going to I'm going to be reacting to that, which is OK. But the problem is that mindset is why we continue to fall into this gap and gap widening that you were talking about, which is, well, if I don't identify right the threat and the vulnerability and the risk correctly, I can't possibly figure out whether or not I should turn and react and how quickly mm. and whether it's successful. And so as a result, I, I scattershot things and hope that I get enough hits that perhaps I'm, I'm you know, going to be successful. Most companies don't really get the formulaic approach and the finesse it takes to push good and bad code out through DevOps and then mitigate and come up right behind with the same approach to fixing. They just don't get it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that uh, what I really like is uh, when you talked about probability and also impact, right? is that I can also live with that uh, exposure if the probability is really low and so is the impact, right? And those are all components of your risk equation. And I think also DevOps in a positive light gives you the opportunity to address those in a much more structured manner, right? I plucked out just one piece of DevOps in continuous deployment, right? But most critical to DevOps or the more critical thing is that feedback loop, right? People knowing (laughs) that we have potential exposures, right? And giving us the opportunity to prioritize those and make a decision as to what goes into the next release. Maybe... Maybe I, that fix doesn't go in the next release because you know what? Eh, the threat actors that we profile, they're not going after it. The probability is low, right? The impact of that vulnerability when we analyze it is pretty low, right? And so we'll catch it in, you know, two, three releases and we're still okay with that, with that risk window. We can be. And so right, you're, you're, what you're describing, right, more formally, right, in the language of risk and, and risk management framework, et cetera, is the BIA, right, the business impact analysis idea and thought process. Um, and, you know, it's great. Again, in theory, on paper, we talk about it. Right. We, you know, Actually evangelize from yeah. our various platforms, <laughs> right. right, that we should be doing this. But there seems to be a disconnect between intent, message, and, and reception and action. And, you know, the problem is, while all that works, if it's done correctly, the, the issue is, you know, you said, hey, I pulled one piece out, continuous deployment. Mm-hmm. Well, the piece you just described you really want to be focusing on in that vignette is continuous monitoring and as a result, the feedback loop that comes from it, right, in DevOps. And when we're doing continuous monitoring, assuming we are, which is often an erroneous assumption, unfortunately, yeah. but assuming we are, then what has to also be paired with that is the idea of prioritization based on the outcome of a BIA or a... Um, a threat, you know, uh, analysis, whether it's a, a business impact or a threat impact analysis or a vulnerability assessment and all those things 
in various ways should be part of that discussion. But you have to have that running parallel and linked to the, the development and the release cycle, right? And the disconnect mm. has always been, we do development over here, let's say hypothetically, right, with my arm motions, right, right, on the left, right, in this bubble over here in Sandbox A. And we do line of business ownership and management of infrastructure that that dev product will run in, in this sandbox over here in the middle in, in Sandbox B. And if we are even thinking about it all, we do security and risk mitigation occasionally mm. over here in Sandbox C on the far right. And, and read nothing into the fact that I put security on the far right and yep, development right. on the far left, right? It's just the fact that that's where they are. And because we don't link them, even though DevOps says we should and DevSecOps mm -hmm. mandates that we do, because businesses don't really see these as being uh, supportive and mutually reinforcing and dependent on one another for success, they still see them fundamentally as different activities that grudgingly acknowledge each other's existence but don't really have anything nice to say to each other most of the time. That's why this doesn't really gel, because we don't continuously remediate and prioritize when we continuously release and we continuously monitor. We sometimes remediate and occasionally prioritize, but not often enough. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Adam, you know, and I still think there's silos that we need to break down in this process, right? Because you could have developers going, well, you know, my, my codes, I got a linting tool and it makes sure I'm not making any coding mistakes. And then in operations, they go, well, we're making sure all the packages are secure when we're building everything, right? And then in runtime, we're like, well, we have some runtime protection uh, that's built into every container, as an example. We cover a, a host of solutions, like tons of solutions that do that, right? But that has to be looked at holistically, if I were to capture what you, what you were saying. And, and that's hard, and a lot of us don't often do that, and I agree. It is. And I, I think that's just, unfortunately, that's the next major hurdle. I don't know what the DevSecOps 2.0 winds up being to, right. to accommodate that, right. but it's the missing piece. It's that glue that's going to bring everything together and make it sticky enough for us to really learn. You know, we need each other, right? I mean, that's fundamentally always yeah. been the case. We just continue to shoot ourselves in the foot despite our best efforts. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you get from some of the runtime protection um, is that mitigating control that needs to factor into maybe your risk equation, right? And we've talked about this in the light of vulnerability management for a long time. The fact that you may have a pretty critical vulnerability introduced in your system, but when you test it, your your runtime protections are doing a really good job of, of preventing exploitation maybe of that vulnerability. And therefore your own kind of risk score and prioritization you put around that is gonna greatly differ from all those wonderful CVE numbers and CVSS scores that are associated with them that is for that vulnerability, but not specific to you. And you have to look at all of the aspects of your application to really calculate that score for you. We, you do, and more importantly, right? So it's a great example, but here's, here's the, the dark side people don't often realize about that story, right? Hey, runtime protection, kicks in in the container, I'm isolated, I've got strong walls, good containment, so I'm okay, right? Even though the vendor says this is horrific and it's one step removed from the zombie apocalypse, you gotta deal with it, right. my, my testing is seeming to indicate it's not, so I think I'm good, which is okay in theory in, in the, the test, and perhaps even as in limited rollouts in a POC or, or somewhere as you scale that to make sure it's legitimate. It all looks good. And so you reprioritize and say, oh, maybe not such a big deal. The problem becomes, and you know, we just heard about this in some of the headlines, right, at the beginning, yeah. uh, the top of the, the discussion, you know, Android applications that are, are allowing real malware to run because they're impersonating, 
OAuth token impersonation because somebody didn't think about the fact that subdomain namespaces are trusted without verification. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the problem becomes, not to mention the irony of Microsoft's trust center being targeted right. when you're supposed to be verifying you that too, it, right? right? Yeah. That, that aside. But, you know, the reality is, look, there are so many bad actors out there who are so smart, so focused because they got nothing but time and energy to devote to this prop to devote to this particular challenge that they've taken on. I don't care how good runtime protection, how good containerization, how good all those things are. The reality is there's a vulnerability there. There's probably several. We just don't know them. We don't know about them because we haven't figured them out yet because we're not devoting enough time to do that. The bad actors are doing nothing but that. So they're always going to be finding cracks in that protection screen. And the result is, if we don't think about the fact that prioritization today is only good for the here and now, it's not good a week, a month, a year from now when the operational landscape is shifted. Yeah. And what we need is not just continuous monitoring, continuous, vulner- continuous deployment. We need somebody to beat our customers over the head and say, look, you got to be thinking about reassessing and reprioritizing every time you go into a change cycle and every time you go into a release cycle, right? Well, I love because that. Not, that's like continuous that reassessing. Yeah. You're, you're probably already dead. You just don't know it. Yeah. Continuous prioritization. And you're absolutely yeah. right. As we yeah. discover a new resource and containers are, are ripe with, uh, vulnerability research, right? I mean, we've seen, oh, of course. we've seen some sure. serious, you know, we've seen researchers stand up at black hat this year and be like, look, um, yeah, it, it, containers run on the kernel, and if you got a kernel exploit, totally valid, totally valid, and here's our research, right? Uh, we interviewed one of the researchers that, that presented that, so mm-hmm. it can shatter your 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 prioritization. Right. But I like that concept of when we think about DevOps to do that constant uh, reprioritization of things, right? I think it mm-hmm. also um, it's taking some time to have some really good architecture to prevent against some of those fundamental. Uh, vulnerabilities and exposures is is also prudent. I think people rush too quickly, myself included, right? We rush too quickly to go to the cloud, to go to the next container, uh, you know, features and platforms without maybe taking a step back and having a much better architecture and design that is inherently a little more resilient, right? That affects our continuous prioritization. I love that. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Very important. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we talk about all this new technology and DevOps and containers, um, and it's interesting, we're running a security history segment. Not a lot of it's changed, right? I mean, it's concept of least privilege. It's um, making sure that users and applications have proper authentication and authorization. I mean, we cover that in, in the news, right? I mean, these are fundamentals that we have to apply to all of these new processes with DevOps and new technologies like containers and cloud and serverless and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you think, you know, look, if I, you know, we all were, if you're smart and you've done this long enough, and you certainly have, and I, I have, um, you know, you're, you're always aware of the fact, especially as I talk to customers in the field, I talk to students in my classes, you know, you're aware of the fact that there's all this new stuff. And I think it's great. I mean, I've, you know, I've been doing this for you know, probably closer to 40 years now on the, on the, on the, I'm, I'm passing the 35 year mark and mm-hmm. moving towards my fourth decade in our industry. Right. And I've seen just about any kind of technology you can imagine. And a lot of technology, most people listening are, are probably too young to even remember existed. And, 
as far back as I can remember, before we had GUI environments, before we had anything other than essentially mainframes and basically dumb terminals, uh, you know, there've always been basic, fundamental, rock solid thought processes about how you should be using computers and what you can do with them versus what, you know, the visionaries mm -hmm. think you can do. People like Steve Jobs, you need people to, to reinvent the world, right? And, yeah. and imagine how we could scale technology so that everybody can benefit from it. There's no doubt about it. And I think it's great, but I also think you need the visionaries equally in our world, right? In the security world, the risk great. management world, the DevOps world. And while I think they're there, and I, I think we don't always do them justice because we don't always acknowledge just how important their contributions and their thought processes are, I don't think we have as many of them because I think we, we often overlook, right, to your point, the importance of how we are going to reinvent our ability to deal with this technology as opposed to being wowed by the fact that the technology lets us do things we didn't think we could do. Mm. And without that vision of what the technology can be used to do, we wouldn't have anything. But without that vision of how we can safely consume that whiz-bang, wow vision of the world, right? I mean, think about this, right? I use Steve Jobs as an example, right? Um, you know, if, if Steve Jobs hadn't essentially launched, right, the modern consumer version of, you know, the computer revolution that swept the world in the last 15 to 20 years and put a, a supercomputer into the hands of every human being who essentially wants one in the form of an iPhone or its, you know, cousins that have spun off all over the world, we'd be living in a very different world today. And Nobody envisioned when that was happening, or I think even until very recently, the socioeconomic, yes, but the, the safety impacts, right, of mm -hmm. what that is. Something as simple as texting and driving. I mean, right. you've been on the road recently and not yeah. been accosted by people not paying attention to the driving because they're looking at their device. Mm -hmm. Happens all over the world, right? And people aren't really focusing on things that get in the way of the usability. They're focusing on the consumption of, of that ability right, to just essentially um, bring that forward. And, you know, that's where you need those voices that say, this is great, but we got to make right. sure we can do it safely. And we just don't hear that. It's drowned out in that Greek chorus of all the other things going on. And we just, I just don't hear that with customers. I don't hear it in classrooms with students that I'm seeing coming up as the new generation, right, of our, our leaders, our programmers, our, our security people that I'm training or I have been training, you know, mm -hmm. for decades now. I just don't hear it because I don't think people are being told it's important to consider. Right. And I think that's why we keep I, running into these issues. I think I found one of the first examples of that in my uh, research for the security history, and that's RFC. I think it was 602 that was published in 1973 that was one of the first warnings that basically we're not paying attention to authentication and choosing mm -hmm. bad passwords and this this is going to be a thing. Um, and so it's interesting to, to look back and see that there are warnings of this. And like you said, technology and usability uh, and innovation moves forward, but we can't lose sight of it. So it's even more interesting, right? So you said what, 1973, 70, 72, 73? I think it was 73 was when I just dated RFC 602 by, and I should remember his name and I don't. All right. So let's, let's just say it was 73, that's 27 to 2000. And let's say be generous, we'll say 2018 was the year of let's kill the password, right? Right. Because uh, it really started in 2018, even though it's yeah. really been gathering steam in 2019. So that's 38 years it took us from, let's say, in theory, if that really is the first major, you know, flare that went up around the fact that passwords mm -hmm. are really something that, you know, 
are not to be relied on and should not be put in the hands of an average user in a meaningful way. Um, 38 years for us to realize that the primary gatekeeper is asleep more often than not, ineffective, yeah. and is hamstrung right. <laughs> by our inability to understand what a secure password actually is. Imagine how many breaches, mm. regardless of the reasons why they occurred, right? Essentially, injection attacks and exploits around privilege and escalation, whatever. You look back at almost every one of them, ultimately, right? A lot of them stem from the fact that passwords were, were very weak, not changed often enough, all the things we know about. Imagine what would have happened if instead of it taking almost 40 years, it took 15 or 20 years mm -hmm. for us to realize we should change and move towards a, a multi-factor system, whatever those factors would have been given the constraints of technology at the time. How many, of, how many things would not have happened that have happened? Right. Yep. So. Well, Adam, thank you so much for appearing on Hack Naked News. It was awesome chatting with you. And that will conclude this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. We'll see you next time.